We're going to do something a little different this morning. I want to just, just cruise through announcements to save time here because we want to take some time in prayer for what's happening in the world. So just quickly, we've got a membership class coming up at noon today. There was a sign-up sheet. If you still didn't sign up, let me know, and then I will make sure that uh, we get enough pizza for you. If you're not a member yet at, a church, at our church here, and taking this class doesn't mean you have to be a member. It's just learning about the church. So that's going to be from noon to 2. Also, we've got a women's retreat coming up this next weekend here at the church on the 4th and 5th. And then also the weekend after that is the men's retreat at Arrowhead Bible Camp. And also this Wednesday is Awana's Got Talent. So I'm excited about that. So those, those people in my Bible study, we are not going to be in the fellowship hall. We're just going to come here and watch the kids do some great stuff. And I encourage some of you, if you don't have kids in Awana, still show up. Because they, you know, little kids would love to see you cheering for them or whatever they're going to be doing. All right. And also one last thing, I think I've got all the stuff up there. We have our prayer calendar. Please grab that on your way out. All right, as you know, I'm the only, I'm basically the only male in my family who was not military. I, I wish I would have been in the military, but God had different calling on my life. Ministry instead is a different type of warfare. And you know me, I like weapons. I'm a Wisconsin boy, I like hunting. But I tell you what, even though I love weapons, I know of the most powerful weapon in this world. In light of what's going on in this world right now, we're going to take time and pray. There's a big bully out there who's got earthly weapons, nukes. But I tell you what, prayer is more powerful than that. It is. It's what we believe, and we know it. So kids, be, know this. Our faith in Jesus Christ is far greater than any bully on this planet. And from Rice Lake, Wisconsin, prayer is a weapon and a protection and a sign of faith in Jesus Christ. And what we're going to do here right now is powerful. It's so powerful we might have to put radiation suits on if it was physical, but it's not. It's spiritual. And the greatest way we can do this is fighting on our knees. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take five, ten minutes. Oh, Tiano, would you join me up here? So we're going to pray for Ukraine. <clears throat> right now it's about supper time. It's almost five o'clock for them. We have Christians there, missionaries there. I've got friends who know missionaries. They, I see stuff. I, I see the different reports of what's going on. They're praying and praising God. So if you take a moment, take your Bibles, go to 1 Timothy. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 2. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to be praying for the Christians there. We're going to be praying for protection there. We're going to be praying for the churches there. We're going to be praying that bullies would be stopped. 
And I believe, firmly believe, that prayer can stop weapons of this world. Because the weapons of our warfare are mighty, pulling down strongholds. So take a look at this, kids and adults. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 and 2, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So we're going to do that. For kings, plural, that would be today presidents, leaders, even dictator-like people, we're going to be praying. And for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That's what we should be doing all the time. So we're going to pray. Again, more mighty and powerful than a nuke is prayer. And he can stop many things that wicked people are about doing. One of the biggest bullies on the planet can be stopped by God. I've got my certain heart and desire for this whole thing to pan out, but it's not my will, it's the Lord's will. So a big thing about praying is lining up, okay, Lord, you know, we, we have these petitions, but whatever your will is, let it shine so his glory will be proclaimed around the world. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. We don't do this often at our church. We're not a liturgical type of church. But a sign of doing this is we're going to get on our knees. So if you're able to, if you're not, that's fine. But let's turn, you know, let's get on our knees. You can... You can get where you're at. We're, you know, Oti and I are going to get on our knees also. We're just, it's just a sign to say, God, you're bigger than me. You're bigger than some bully on this planet. And we submit to your authority. And as Christians, we come before you and we're going to pray. So I'm going to have Otieno begin praying. And then I will close in prayer. And in our hearts, join us in faith. So let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are thankful this morning and every day of our lives knowing that, Lord, you are on the throne and you are not planning to leave that throne. Thank you, Lord, that you never slumber nor sleep. Thank you that you are with us and you listen to our prayer. Your word tells us to call unto you and you promise in Jeremiah 33 verses 3 that you will tell us great and mighty things. Father, we are thankful that we don't have to scream or we don't have to do anything weird to be heard by you, but that, Father, your ears are inclined to our prayers. Father, we are thankful that we serve a God who is so big, who is so powerful, a God who listens to us and loves us. And, Father, this morning we pray and ask that, Lord, you would Continue working in our lives as we draw closer to you. Father, our hearts are heavy and our hearts are sometimes saddened by what we hear and what we see happening in this world. But Father, we are thankful that you have not lost control and that, Father, you are in control of all situations. Father, we pray for Ukraine. Father, some of us have 
closer ties than others. Some of us have visited countries around it. Some of us have even been to Ukraine, and we know the people there. Fathers, we know also some missionaries who are working in, those, in that land, and Father, we know that there is people who belong to you in Ukraine. This morning, Lord, we just ask that, Lord, you would reassure them of your presence. We know you have not left them. Father, we pray for the church there. Father, we pray that that situation, Lord, if it's your will, that it would end soon, that the war would cease. But, Fathers, we know that your will is perfect, and, Lord, we know that you have a plan and a purpose for everything that happens. Lord, we ask that your kingdom would come and that your will be done, that, Father, whatever happens there, that, Lord, your glory would be manifested. We just want to thank you and praise you for the fact that, Lord, you will never let go. You'll never forsake your people. And Father, we ask that they would just be so much sensitive and be assured of your presence and be encouraged knowing that although they go through difficult times in this world at this time, that Lord, you are with them and you love them and you care for them. So Father, we, as we bow our knees before you this morning, we are confident that Lord, you in control, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Father, I agree with Otieno, and I love just the beauty of his prayer where most of the focus was on your greatness. God, you are sovereign over all things, over all nations, over all kings. Lord, you place people in different times to be leaders, and then you dethrone them for your purposes. So, Lord, we come before you on behalf of the people. And, Lord, we know that this is a physical conflict that they're involved in, and there's, there's bloodshed, there, there's pain and suffering, there's people leaving their homes, there's, there's action happening, and it's hard. It's, it's heartbreaking for us. We pray for peace to happen in the name of Jesus. We pray that uh, peace would happen. So, Lord, we, we pray that the enemy, those who are in leadership in Russia, would their plans would fall to the ground and have no effect in the name of Jesus. And we pray for the soldiers that are, that are Russian that may not know what's going on. We hear different stories, so we're not sure what's happening. Some, it sounds like some of the Russians thought this was just a, an exercise, and they're realizing this is real. So we just pray for them as they're caught up in this conflict. Lord, we pray for the safety of the families who are being torn apart, husbands leaving the families to defend their country. We pray for the safety of children. Lord, we know, we know this is real. We know that uh, other countries attack other countries because of resources and claiming land they think is theirs. There's a variety of reasons. But Lord, we also know that this is spiritual. Ukraine is known to be the center hub of that area for the gospel. They are sending missionaries to all the surrounding countries. And the enemy hates that. They're kind of like the Bible belt in that area. And this is one way the enemy wants to stop the gospel. But the gospel will not be stopped. So we pray for even a further advancement of the gospel right now. 
we pray as it's supper time, as they're getting ready, that they would be able to sing praises together at the table. They would be praying as we pray for them. We pray for the salvation of souls. Lord, we lift up churches in that area. We pray that they would be able to be a place of safety. If bombs happen, if all things happen, we pray that that you would miraculously save those who are at churches. Not just because it's magical, but just for the sake of the gospel, that people would turn to Jesus. They would cling to you at this time. Lord, we pray against the enemy. We have been given weapons of warfare. And we symbolically kneel before you, maker of heaven and earth, creator of all things, who sustains all things. We pray that you would sustain the people of Ukraine. Hold them, protect them, give them safety, we pray in Jesus' name. And just as we prayed that physically the enemy would be stopped, we pray in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, that the spiritual enemy would be stopped. Bind him, we pray. And I do, I pray that this would show the beauty of you somehow. Again, I've got a certain plan. I would love to happen, but God, we want to come according to what is your will. Maybe this will get worse than we thought. You are still in control, and we will continue to pray. And we pray that through this, your glory would be manifested, made known on every news station. Even right now, I pray that something that happens would be broadcasted around the world showing the beauty of prayer and the unity of Christ. So at this moment, we come before you with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Our hearts are broken. We pray for their safety. And even if safety is taken away and death comes knocking at their door, at their door I pray they would still hold to the faith. Their eyes on the prize. Jesus, you are the author and finisher of our faith. So we as a church come before you, O Majesty, the only King, we ask that your will be done. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, as you, from last week, I mentioned how this week was going to be very busy for me. I was able to visit my, my brother and family, my mother. It was great. With that, I knew I just was gone half the week, so I contacted our dear friend Parker to come and preach for me and for us this weekend. So, Parker, would you come up? I want to pray for you as you get to share the word. He was here at the beginning of August, I think it was, yes, August, you came and shared from the evangelical free perspective of missions as we had a whole month focusing on missions. So we're excited to hear from Parker, and I know that God has planted what his message is for us to hear today. So join me as I pray for him. All right. Lord, I thank you for my dear brother, Parker. I am 
so grateful for the relationship I've had with him for many years. Some of the stories we've had together, we laugh. And some of them, we are so grateful how God just moved through us frail guys, how you've touched people here in the States, in South America. Just we've, you, God, you've used Parker in many ways. And I just pray for him as he shares the word and his, his wife and little boy back at home. Just be with them today. And just we are thankful for his ministry with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. This morning, I'm going to be uh, in John chapter 14, and so if you guys want to meet me there, that would be awesome. We're going to be in the first six verses of John chapter 14. I'm really excited um, for this passage and what the Lord might have to say to, to me. I mean, when I, every time I'm preaching a sermon, I, I am preaching to myself uh, in many, many ways, and, and, uh, and 14, uh, 1 through 6, I think are a, is a timely passage for us. Uh, in the world we live in, and, and there are many things that we can, uh, we can glean from this passage. And when I think about preaching, uh, sometimes I like to say that preaching is like being a, uh, a tour guide at the Grand Canyon. Has anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon in here? A couple people. If you've been to the Grand Canyon, you, you'll know what I'm talking about, that when you go to the Grand Canyon, you don't really need a tour guide. Right? It's just like, well, can you imagine coming after the Grand Canyon? You have this beautiful vista. It's just jaw-dropping. And a tour guide comes up and says, hey, I'm Parker. I'm your tour guide. Uh, look at that. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, like can, is there a more pointless job in the world than a tour guide at the Grand Canyon? Come on, just, do you see it? Look at it. And, and the, the tour guide's job really would just be get out of, get out of the way. Like, let the people see what's there. Let them, let them just open their eyes and just just marvel at what is in front of them. And sometimes that's how I feel when I'm preaching God's word. I mean, like once you see the beauties that are in here, right? Like what do I have to say? Like once you can see it, just get out of the way and let the people see it. And so that's my, my goal this morning is that, that we might see together the beauty of Jesus' words, not the glory of my words, that we together might see what Jesus has for us in his word. So we're in John 14. I'm going to read uh, the first six verses, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in together. This is something we do at my church. I don't know if, I don't know if you guys do this here. We stand when we read, when we read God's Word, so let's, let's do that. Uh, maybe that's weird or new for you, but let's try it. So just in honor of God's Word, I'm going to read John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You may be seated. So John chapter 14 is in this section in the book of John, and I, I love John probably the most out of the, out of the four Gospels. The, the view that he paints of Jesus of, uh, and of Jesus' ministry is a little bit different than the other ones, not only in the scope of what things he talks about. The other three Gospels are kind of going to say a lot of the same stories, about in the same order. And, and John has like a close-up perspective, not only of Jesus, but of the people around Jesus. He paints a clearer picture of 
of some people like Nicodemus and the woman at the well and of the Pharisees. And you get to see up close what's, what's the look on people's faces like Mary and Martha in chapter 12. We get to see uh, kind of this, uh, an up-close picture. And so what John is doing in this portion of his, uh, his epistle or of his letter, his gospel, is in chapter 13 through 17, he's detailing the Last Supper. So these are within hours of Jesus' betrayal and ultimately of his uh, execution by uh, the Romans and his crucifixion. And in this section, it says it starts off in, in chapter 13, verse 1, that Jesus loved them until the end. Right? What Jesus is doing in these moments is he's loving the disciples. And if you notice in verse 1 of our chapter, of 14, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And the disciples have many reasons at this moment in time to be troubled. Right? Jesus keeps talking to them in these seemingly cryptic ways. He keeps telling them he's about to be betrayed and handed over to the leaders and he's going to be killed and taken away from them. He's been telling the Pharisees, hey, where I'm about to go, you guys can't follow me. And the Pharisees are very confused at this, and apparently the disciples are very confused at this. The disciples have left everything, remember. They left their jobs. They left their nets when they're fishing where they were. They left their jobs. They left their parents. They left many things. They left everything. And they've followed Jesus around for three years, and now their leader is telling them that he's about to leave. And think about what the disciples must be feeling. We've left everything to follow you. We've, left, we've just left it all, and now you're telling us you're going to leave, and evidently in a gruesome fashion, you're going to be lifted up? You're gonna, are you going to be crucified? What do, you, what do you mean you're leaving us? What's going to become of this movement? Right? I thought you were the Messiah. I thought you were going to restore Israel and, and make a great name and a great kingdom, and we are going to be your, your buddies next to you. Well, what is going to happen with that? And once you're taken away from us, what's going to happen to me? Right? I've, I've been, everyone knows I've been following you. Everyone knows I'm your disciple. If they're going to kill you, what's going to come of me? And so in these moments, the disciples are legitimately scared. They're terrified of what's about to happen. And I think in many ways, we can resonate, not that we were at the Last Supper, but we can resonate that our world is it, there's a, there are reasons to be troubled, right, at home and abroad, right, with inflation and, and the economy and then also the war looming and, and who knows what's going on in Europe and, and China and all these things. There are many reasons to be troubled, but I think uh, what Jesus does in this passage for his disciples is remarkable. If we were able to see what he's doing and hear the words that he says, we might uh, also have reason to not be troubled. And so Jesus is going to give us three reasons why we should not be troubled. Uh, the first reason, check it out in verse, uh, in verse 2. In my Father's house, Jesus says, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you? And right above that, Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. And so he tells them that there's this, there's this place that he's going to prepare, but right before that he says, believe in God, believe also in me. What Jesus is saying about himself, it seems like a very innocuous sentence, okay, believe in God, believe in me. But what Jesus means by this, we might be able to read this, hey, you believe in God, but he's teaching them also believe in me. Imagine what he's saying. They've, they've been walking around with this guy for three years. They've heard him speak. They've seen the miracles. And now he's telling them, hey, in the same way that you believe in God the Father, believe that same way in me. 
That's remarkable. Like Jesus is making a, a, a direct claim here, not to just being you know, equal with God, but to being God. Hey, as, as you pray to God the Father, as we prayed for this meal, maybe he said, as we pray today, as we pray tonight in the garden, just as you're praying to him, just as you believe in him, just as you live your whole lives to know him, believe that way in me. And there's a reason why Jesus is, is saying this now. Because he, he's telling his disciples, hey, the next 36 hours, the next 12 hours for you, the next 72 hours are going to be really crazy. If you think that I'm just your buddy, if you think that I'm just your teacher, if you think that I'm just a uh, supposed Messiah, the next 72 hours are going to ruin you. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be delivered over, and then I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be put in a tomb. I'm going to be gone. If you only view me as, as a spiritual teacher, as, as, your, as your friend, you're going to be in trouble. What you're going to need for this next season, and even for us, what you're going to need in order to not be troubled is, number one, know that Jesus' words, that what he's about to say to us, are God's words. Jesus is on the same plane as God. And imagine what this must be for, like, for the disciples. Right? We can imagine this. Like We worship Jesus as God. He is. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's Yahweh. But for the, the disciples, imagine getting their minds around this. Right? Like, that, that the person in front of them, in a couple hours, they're going to be able to pray to him just like they pray to God the Father. They're going to be able to worship him just like they worship God the Father. This would have been a, a mind-blowing statement for them, that he's not just a, a good man, he's not just a good teacher, he's not just a prophet who's able to multiply fish and loaves, he is God in front of them. Believe in God. Hey, you believe in God, good. Believe also in me. Then verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. What Jesus is doing in this passage is he's taking a, a cultural example from his day and age. And so the cultural example he takes, he could have picked anything, what he decides to use in order to comfort his disciples is uh, a marriage analogy. And so in the ancient world, what a man would do once he'd become betrothed to his beloved, to his to-be bride, he would leave her and he would go back to his hometown or wherever he lives and, and he would go to his father's house and he would build uh, an addition onto the house, whether above or, or next to. He would build a room onto his father's house and and he would not see his, uh, his fiancée until the day of the wedding, until they were uh, to consummate the marriage. And so imagine what this, uh, what this picture is showing us. Uh, imagine uh, Jesus is saying he's about to go away. Right? He's about to go away and prepare a place for them. And he says he's going to his father's house. He's going to his father's house and he's going to prepare a place for them. And, and we see the intimacy here. He is not going away to heaven just to, you know, arrange the housing arrangements for his disciples. He's not going away to supervise other people, other angels or other beings. He's not supervising the, the, the making of, of heavenly dwellings for his disciples. He says, no, I'm going away myself to prepare a place for you. And what's amazing about this is not the, 
uh, we could go into, into depth all day long, into Revelation 20, 21, and 22, and we're imagining the new city and the new heavens and the new Jerusalem. And, and sometimes God's kingdom is spoken of as a, as a kingdom, right? The new becoming kingdom. Sometimes it's spoken of as a city in Revelation. But here we, hear, we see Jesus talking about God's kingdom, the place we're going to dwell with him as a, as a house. We're going to dwell in God's house with him. Jesus is going to his father's house, and he's adding on. Think of the intimacy here. We're not just going to be living in, in neighborhoods and, and villages in, in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God forever, we're going to be in his house with him. We will dwell with God. And Jesus himself, he says, goes away to prepare a place for them. And it reminds us a little bit maybe of the story of uh, Jacob and his uh, wife-to-be Rachel from the Old Testament, if you remember this. Uh, now Jacob has uh, gone away from his father's country and he is living with his uh, mom's brother named Laban and Laban has a, a beautiful daughter named Rachel. And, and Jacob says, hey, I will do anything, Laban, for your daughter Rachel. What, what's the price? What, what should I do? How can I marry your daughter Rachel? And, and Laban says, well, work for me seven years. Work for me seven years and you can, uh, you can marry my daughter Rachel. And, and the, the text in Genesis says that Jacob worked those seven years, but they seemed to him as a few days. Why? Well, because of the great love with which he loved Rachel. Right? That work of, of even, even imagine in Jesus' words, Jesus is going away to prepare this place. What, what Jesus is attaching into this is that hey, as I'm going away to prepare a place for you, I'm not leaving you and forgetting about you. Right? You're troubled right now because you think I'm leaving you. But here's one thing. Hey, remember, I'm not leaving you and I'm not, I'm not just going to forget about you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Just as Jacob worked seven years for his bride, and he, I mean, at each moment that he's working, was the work hard? Yes, I'm sure the work was hard. But each moment as Jacob's working, he's thinking about his bride. Hey, it's worth it. Every sheep he's got to deliver, every wolf he's got to ward away, every water bucket he's got to pull up from the well, every, everything, right? All of that hard work was worth it because Rachel was on his mind. He could not wait to have Rachel. And, and notice here what Jesus may be saying to his disciples. That as Jesus goes away to prepare a place for them, he is thinking of them as a groom thinks about his bride. Now, now why, does Jesus, why does Jesus say this? Why does he choose this analogy? He could have chosen any analogy. He could have chosen a father and a son. He could have chosen a friend analogy. Hey, when I go away, I'll still, we'll still be buddies and you can pray to me now and then and we can you know, interact with each other. Why is the analogy he chooses to comfort his disciples one of marriage. Now, now maybe, I, I, this is mind-blowing for me, I just want to test the water on you for a second. Is it possible that Jesus actually loves his disciples? Like, I, I know that, that sounds like a normal sentence, it sounds innocuous, sounds normal, but can you imagine that Jesus is trying to show his disciples how much he actually loves them? Right, like I typically, uh, I typically, when I relate to Jesus, I relate to him as a, probably I would say as a boss. I don't know if anybody else can relate to me here. But when I pray to Jesus, when I think about him, I, uh, he's a good boss. 
right? He's a good master. He's over me and he's over my, uh, over my spiritual life and he, and he is concerned about my growth, concerned about everything. And he's a good boss, right? But when I typically think of Jesus, when I typically pray to him, it's hard for me to think of Jesus as being affectionate. It's hard for me to think of Jesus as actually loving me. I can imagine that he can give love to me. I imagine that he can give grace to you. I can, I can imagine that he gives his disciples grace. But is it possible that Jesus actually loves his disciples, like loves them, like has affection for them, like thinks about them as, as Jacob would think about Rachel? Is that how Jesus is actually thinking about his disciples? Well, it appears so. And one, one thing we need to realize about this is that realize who Jesus is talking to right now. He's talking to his disciples, and, and Judas has just left the room, right? Judas says, uh, uh, Jesus says, hey, go and, go and do what you need to do, and Judas has just left the room. Disciples are confused. He just said at the end of chapter 13, Jesus just declared that, hey, Peter, Peter the rock, you're about to betray me three times. Then, in the, then the next passage is this. Chapter 13 ends with Peter's denial being foretold, and then Jesus starts these words. And I typically view Jesus as a boss. He loves me, right? He's a, he's a, he kind of loves me. He, he thinks good about me. He, he wants good things for me. He's a good guy, but at the end of the day, Jesus needs to see some results, right? I don't know if anybody else is with me there. Like, I, I imagine that, like, yeah, Jesus, he likes me, right? He he wants the best for me. He, he wants me to produce fruit. And, and once I produce fruit, once I am faithful to the end, then Jesus will love me. Then Jesus will love his church once we're complete. Jesus will love us once we get it together. But remember who Jesus is saying these words to. Peter is in the room. Peter, who's about to deny Jesus in the, in the hour of his trouble, He's about to deny him three times, and then Jesus tells him these words, Peter, you're about to deny me, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to be as a groom going away to a far place to, to add an addition onto my father's house. We're going to dwell with me forever. I am going to prepare a place for you, and while I'm there, I'm going to constantly be thinking about you as, as Jacob would think about Rachel each hour, right? Jesus is telling Peter, he's telling all of his disciples, I love you. I actually really care about you. And also, imagine, take a step back, another step back with me, and think about what's not happening here. It's, it's easy to notice what's going on, but what's not happening is Jesus in his hour of trouble is not being comforted. Right? Do we notice in, in chapters 13 through 17, do the disciples ever you know, pipe up and say, Jesus, hey, we're here with you. We care for you. Like, this seems to be your hour of trouble. Jesus says that his hour has now come. We don't see the disciples stepping in. We don't see them laying a hand on his shoulder. We don't see them caring for their master, who is clearly distressed. Right? It says in chapter 13 that Jesus is troubled in this moment. Jesus is troubled that Judas has betrayed him. Why is Jesus troubled that Judas betrays him? Well, maybe it's also because Jesus has general love and general affection, even for Judas. It breaks his heart to see Judas walk away. It breaks his heart to see Judas turn his back on his master. And so Jesus is troubled, and nobody comforts Jesus. 
And, and that's even what they can see. They can see that, Jude, that Jesus is troubled. They can see that he's been you know, battered and, and bruised verbally by the chief priests. And they can see what's going on in Jesus' face, maybe. They can see his anguish. And in the garden, they're going to see him sweat, tear, or sweat drops of blood because he's in such anguish over what's about to happen to him. And that's only what they can see. What they can't see is what Jesus knows. They can't see that in this hour, Jesus knows that he's about to bear the full wrath of God. Jesus knows that the cup that he's about to drink is the cup of God's wrath for his bride's sin, for all their sin, for all the wickedness of mankind that that the church has done for his bride. All of it, he's about to drink it all. And so Jesus, in this moment, has many more reasons to be troubled. He knows that on the cross, he's going to be, in some sense, forsaken by the Father. Like the the eternal bond is somehow going to be shifted or broken for a moment. Jesus knows these things, and so he has much reason to be troubled. And if it were me, uh, this is hard to do, put yourself in Jesus' shoes, but put, put yourself there for a second. I would not be that concerned with the disciples. You guys figure it out. I've got some bigger fish. Right? I, I, we wouldn't have the Last Supper. We would have had the last hors d'oeuvre, and I would have been out of there. Right? I would have been out of there praying on my own, like trying to figure this out. But Jesus, in his last hours, what does he do? How does he spend his last hours with the, with the disciples? Well, not looking for their comfort, but Jesus, in his hour of trouble, in his anguish, does everything that he can to comfort his disciples. And I just can't help but seeing in the words that Jesus chooses and, and saying that, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you, just like a groom does. I can't help but seeing Jesus' affection for his church, for his broken, betraying even almost, and rejecting for his, for his lack of faith, for his lack of boldness, church. As they currently are, he actually loves them. And I, I think there's a difference that we need to see between giving love and loving loving and, like, and affectionate love. Jesus isn't merely giving the disciples love. He isn't merely giving them grace. Like We do this all the time. You have people in your life that uh, you give grace to. Right? Maybe they're believers, maybe they're not. We give grace to each other. We do this every day to your children, right? They, they don't deserve it or, or even your brothers, sisters, whatever. People in your family, we give grace to each other. We give love to each other. We give love when people offend us. We can give grace. We can give forgiveness. We can give patience. But do you see the difference in how you give love to people compared to how the people that you like love, love, and are affectionate about? Like Jesus says, he's talking about how he's going away because he's a groom for his bride, right? Like, do we, do we give love to people in the same way that we feel affection for the people that we love? Can you see the difference? Those are, those are different things, right? Jesus is not merely giving the disciples love here, right? It says in, in chapter 13, 1, that he loved them to the end. He's not merely giving them patience. He's not merely giving them grace, but we can see on Jesus' face, we can hear in his words that he loves his disciples. Uh, he, he feels a genuine affection for them. 
He feels a genuine, I just love you guys. Like, you are my friends. You are my disciples. I love you. Is that the way that you understand how Jesus feels about us right now, his church, his bride? Do we think we need to get it together and start being fruitful and start being effective and start being useful before he loves us? That's a hard thing for me to do. My whole life I've viewed him as a boss. Okay, yeah, he likes me, he's good, but I've got to produce some results. From these, from these verses, I just can't help but seeing Jesus feels affection. He actually loves his disciples. He's not just bearing with them and, oh, I guess I'm going to give you guys some patience now. I guess I'm going to give you some love. I guess I'm going to give you some grace. That's not what we see in these verses. He chooses the, the bridal metaphor to show us something. He chooses the bridal metaphor to, to encourage his disciples, right? Don't be troubled. Why? Because I'm God. My words are God's. Reason number two, don't be troubled because I love you. What a powerful uh, idea. What a powerful message that Jesus gives to his disciples. And I wonder if we, if we walked this out, how this might change how we how we pray. How might it change how we talk to Jesus? Right? I, I certainly think we need to talk with Jesus with reverence and fear, but also do we, do we understand that when we come to him that he feels affection for you? If you are his, his disciple, if you are a follower of Christ, he feels affection for you. Even in your brokenness, even in your peterness, he feels affection for you. He wants to know you. He wants to love you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to hear from you. Does that, do we understand that when we pray? That Jesus actually loves us. Uh, I think, if we understood this, how might it change how we love one another? Right? And that's also Jesus' application. Jesus says just above this in chapter 13, the world will know you're my disciples by your love for each other. Now does he mean by his, your love for each other, does he mean by just like putting up with and giving grace and giving patience? Well, maybe. But how Jesus is loving his disciples to the end is with full affection. Right? And I love how Peter, Peter's at this meal. Imagine what Peter's learning. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 what he thinks our love for each other should look like. He says this, he commands the disciples, hey, all of you together, uh, Peter's saying this, have unity of mind. He's describing love. Have sympathy for one one another. Have brotherly love. Have a tender heart. Have humility. I'll read those again. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and humility. Have these towards each other, Peter says. What Peter learned from his master was that love is not only an action. Yes, love is an action. But love is also an affection. Love is also how you feel about someone. Love is also how you care and genuinely enjoy and genuinely genuinely love somebody. That's also what love is. That's also what agape is. And so when Peter has to describe love, he uses words like sympathy, brotherly love, affection. He uses a a tender heart towards one, one another. Maybe the world would know that we are his disciples if we didn't just like, give each other patience once in a while. We just give each other grace and just like, you know, put up with one another. But what if we actually 
modeled what Jesus was doing and, and understood that Jesus has loved me even in my imperfection and has affection for me even in my imperfection and, and, and loves me, once I know his love, maybe I'd be able to give that to somebody else around me. A fellow brother and sister in Christ who has been loved by Jesus, maybe I would then be able to love them. And maybe if we lived like that and we actually had affection for one another, actually had a tender heart and sympathy for one another, then maybe the world would know that we're his disciples. Uh, that's that's Jesus' application. Love one another as I have loved you. First John says that uh, we love because he first loved us. And so uh, Jesus' uh, exhortation to his disciples, don't be troubled. Why? Because I love you. Because I, being equal with God, am affectionate for you together, for my disciples. I love my disciples. So, so beautiful. And then the passage goes on. Look at verse 4. And Jesus says this, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Well, so Jesus has just said that I'm going away to my Father to prepare a place for you. And Thomas, and probably not just Thomas, the rest of the disciples don't seem to be on Jesus' wavelength. Right? They don't seem to pick up what he's putting down, that he's going to the Father to prepare a place for them. Thomas is like, what, do, what way are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean? And, and we can see the confusion in the disciples, and especially even after this moment, we see their confusion. In Acts 1.6, Jesus is it's his last moment. right? He's about to ascend. Right? He's about, his feet are about to lift off the ground. Last moment. And his disciples say to him, Jesus, Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When are you going to bring the messianic kingdom? When are you going to push out Rome and, and free us from the invaders? When are you going to make Israel? Is it, is it now or is it in a couple weeks? Or when are you going to do that? They, they seem very confused. They think, they have been thinking, right now they are thinking that what Jesus is there to do is to make their kingdom better. They actually think that Jesus, what he's, a, what he's there to accomplish is to restore Israel, make Israel great again. And Jesus can't, he's been trying to teach them this for, uh, for years now, and they, just, it's, they can't get it through their heads that Jesus is not there for them, that he's not there just to make Israel amazing and powerful again, not going to take them back to the glory of the monarchy. That's not the point. And so Jesus, in, in these words, what he's about to say, teaches the disciples why he's there, what he's there for. And, and Thomas, in his confusion, I love this. He accidentally stumbles into the best question he could possibly ask. Look at verse 5. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus had just told him, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas was like, way? What are you talking about? Like, kingdom. Like, pushing out the Romans. Why do we need it? What do you mean way? What are you talking about, Jesus? Like you're here to, you're the Messiah, and the Messiah obviously is here to make our lives better. So what is this, what do you mean way, and where is this way going? What are you talking about? And Jesus, I love his answer. Jesus, almost anticipating, almost pulling this question out of them. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now these verses, and this verse is, rightfully, uh, usually taken as a, um, 
as a text to show that Jesus is the only way, that he is the exclusive way to the Father, rightfully so. Right? That, is, that is a great way to use this verse when, when my students are asking me about, you know, is Jesus really the only way? Well, okay, John 14, 6, here it is. Look at that. Look at how what he says, and he's clearly the only way. That's, that's great. We can use this, this verse for that. But that's not the amazing thing that Jesus is trying to show his disciples. The amazing thing is not that there's only one way. The amazing thing is what the way is to. That's what he's trying to get across to his disciples. Like, what is this way to? Of course, if God provides a, a way to something, if God has to provide it, well, of course there's only one way, right? It's not like man can come up with another way, right? God did it, therefore, it must have been really difficult. So, yeah, of course there's one way. But notice what Jesus says here. Notice, notice what, he, what he says about where this way is to. And that's the important thing. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the disciples still don't know that Jesus is there to restore their relationship with God. Like, he has come to earth on a mission not to make Israel great, not to fulfill their dreams, not to give them power, not to give them money, not to give them anything else, but he has come so that they might have relationship with God again, that someday they might dwell in the Father's house with him. Uh, you see, the, the world is so slow to understand what Jesus is even doing. We are so slow to really see what Jesus' goal is, what his point is. And, and Jesus uh, does an amazing thing here, a, a beautiful thing. He, he gives the disciples kind of a, I don't know, a behind-the-scenes, a, a cheat sheet, almost like insider trading, right? So he gives them insider trading of, of what bets to make with their lives. Jesus says, hey, if you think that the goal of your life is to get, gain power for Israel, it may or may not happen. If you think that the goal of your life is to become successful teachers, disciples, become successful religious leaders and become rabbis yourselves, that may or may not happen. If you think that the goal of your life is to follow me around and become great men, that may or may not happen. But Jesus says right here, he gives us some insider trading. He gives us some insider trading. But if the goal of your life is to know God, is to have a relationship with your creator, if the goal of your life is to know him and be with him, I am the way. That you have it, right? Like, what have I come here to do? I've come to give you a way back to the Father. And so Jesus is almost telling his disciples to, hey, bet your life on this. Bet your life on me being the way to God. Don't bet your life on what I can do for you monetarily. Don't bet your life on, on the things I can, uh, I can give to you. Don't bet your life on anything else. Bet your life that you could know God. If you, if you spend your life look, trying to know God through the Son, trying to, trying to know God more through Jesus Christ, well... He is the way. That's what he came to do. And it will undoubtedly happen. If we spent our lives uh, trying to know God and love God more, well, good news, you will also spend your eternity doing that. Right? Sometimes we, we delineate between like, a, hey, what's my, what's my purpose of existence here? And then I'll have a, a different purpose in, a, in existence in eternity. That seems silly. 
Right? Like, why, why, why would I be doing something different in eternity than I'm doing here? The goal of my eternity would be to know God and be with him. So Jesus says, All, likewise, spend your life right now trying to know the Father. Because that's what you'll do forever if you're in me. What does Jesus do? Well, he brings us to the Father. That is what he does. And so we have an opportunity in front of us. Not to use Jesus for our own means. Not to use him for our, our own goals. Not to use him for our own even political agendas or, or retirement goals or, or uh, goals for grades in school, right? Like, we're not going to just, the goal isn't to use Jesus for whatever we want. But Jesus offers himself to you. He offers a way to you, to the Father, and there is no other. If your goal is to know God, there is one way. And so, friends, we should bet our lives. We should bet our lives on the fact that uh, we can go to the Father through Jesus. We should bet our lives that we get to that we can know God. This week, you should bet your week on the fact that you can know the Father, that you can know God today. We can walk with him. We can walk in relationship with him. Because that's what Jesus came to do. He came to open a way to the Father. So let's bet our lives not on, uh, not on how big we can make our retirement accounts, not on, on how great of people we can become, not on anything else. But let's bet our lives, let's bet our weeks, let's bet our days on knowing Jesus, on knowing the Father, because he is the way to the Father. And as we step back and just look back at this passage, as we just look at verses 1 through 6, it's, it's hard not to be encouraged. It's hard for me not to look at those words and, and actually see that there's a reason to not be troubled. Right? As the, as the world powers are at work and in chaos, and as Ukraine's being invaded, and as our economy is changing, and gas prices are rising, and all these things... There is reason to not be troubled. Reason number one, once again, is that Jesus is God. Right? His words are God's words. And what he does with those words is he tells us that he cares for us. His affection for us. He feels affection and love for us. He is not, he is not up there doing more important things. He has not forgotten about his bride. He has not forgotten about his church. But he remembers them. He thinks about them as Jacob working for Rachel. He tells them them. He loves them. He loves his disciples. And, and likewise, uh, what he has come to do is bring us closer in relationship to God, provide a way to God the Father forever. Man, man how, can we not, how can we be troubled? How can we be troubled by the things in this world if, if Jesus, the God, one with God, God himself, loves me and has made a way for me to be with him, whatever may come? Whatever may come of wars, whatever may come of economies, whatever may come of my retirement account, whatever may come of do I live to see tomorrow or not, whatever may come, Jesus loves us and he has made a way for us to spend eternity with him. How can we be troubled? So my friends, do not be troubled. Believe in Jesus. Believe also in the Father. He loves us and has made a way for us. I'm going to invite the, the worship team back up, and uh, as they come up, let me, let me just pray for us and, and uh, also for our world. Father in heaven, Lord, we uh, come to you and we, we thank you for your 
not just grace to us, but you're just gracious love. You love, people, love us who are just undeserving and, and uh, weak in many ways and ineffective and unfruitful in many ways. God, you care for us, not because of our uh, goodness, but because of your graciousness, because of your agape love. God, help us to trust in your love. Help us to lean on you as, a, as a, the lover of our soul, as the, the lover of your bride, the church. Help us to lean on you and um, not think that we have to change the world on our own and not, not that, that our even efforts can change our economy or our world or the world peace or whatever. God, we can't change any of those things, but God, we trust you. Thank you for bringing us into relationship with the Father. Thank you for uh, preparing a place for us even now. God, help these words uh, encourage our hearts, change how we relate to you, change how we pray to you, and also change how we love one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand as you are able to and worship with us.
righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but holy trust in Jesus I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ
My prayer for you and my prayer this week for those in Ukraine is that the beauty of Jesus and his love for his children would capture us. Let me send you off with this verse that's been an anchor to my soul this past year and a half. He, God the Father, will keep you firm until the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you to him with the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Go with the beauty of Christ. Thanks for worshiping with us. God bless you.